Hey everyone, my name is Jeff Oaks. I'm glad to be sharing a message with you today. I believe there are two types of people in this world. People who love parades and people without a soul. <laughs> I say that jokingly because even in my own house, there's a huge difference of opinion on this topic. But seriously, I mean, how could you not love a good parade? There are fire trucks and police cars blaring their sirens. There's marching bands blasting their music. Muskets are being fired by revolutionary war reenactors. Okay, so parades can be kind of loud. That's true. But there's also the splendor and pageantry of seeing hastily constructed floats and politicians waving from fancy cars and endless rows of youth sport leagues passing out brochures, <laughs> which is not exactly super appealing. Okay, I get it. But there are also throngs of people lined up along the parade route, all vying for the best vantage point and attempting to mark their territory, crowding in on one another. All right, so that's not exactly everyone's cup of tea either. So why are there so many parades? Is it because we crave the opportunity to catch a glimpse of something special? It's like seeing someone famous or a cool car or that rare, well-designed float. Or maybe it's the chance to hear some cool music. I mean, is it this sheer spectacle of it all that draws our attention? Because parades do draw our attention. Does anyone know what the largest parade in the world is? Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade has an estimated 2 million people who attend. That's, that's just last year's parade, which was the first one that they had to have since, or they got to have since COVID, right? 2 million people, they estimate, were packed along a two and a half mile route. Not to mention the approximately 50 million people who are watching from home. And it's not just an American phenomenon. There are parades in almost every culture across the globe. Every town I have ever lived in has had its own parade of some sort. I mean, I lived in Chelmsford and they had a Christmas parade every year. I live in Quincy now and they have a parade for Christmas and they have a parade on Flag Day. Even little Lamar, Missouri, population 5,000 people where I went to high school, has an annual fair parade. And let me tell you, it is a little underwhelming. <laughs> Love them or hate them, parades are going to happen. And for some reason, we are compelled to continue promoting these processions of pageantry, all these attempts to make the majestic out of the mundane. And the reality of living in a parade culture put that in quotes, a culture that is fixated on capturing, uh, capturing, on capturing our attention. The reality is we face a battle each day to determine what is worthy of our time and energy. And obviously I'm talking about more than just parades. I mean, it's the unending playbill of movies and TV shows and games and TikTok videos and concerts and getaways and vacation packages, all vying for our time and attention and certainly for our dollars. Each one promising to be exactly what we needed to fill that hour or that evening or that weekend, an escape from all the tedium. Every day, there's a parade attempting to pick your curiosity 
and they've been focus grouped and case studied and audience tested for creating maximum interest. So I suppose it should come as no surprise to us that we are an exceedingly distracted people. Often we miss one parade because there's another on our TV or on our phone or on our schedule. And generally speaking, we determine what we will give our attention to, not based on the value or enrichment it provides, but by how long it will last, how much it will cost, how well it's been reviewed, who will be there, and whether or not it will be exciting and interesting, or at least as interesting as any of the other potential options that are happening at the exact same time. And so we'll skip one parade because there's going to be too much traffic or too few floats or no one else wants to go on and on. Parades are designed to bring us together to celebrate. But when you've got as many options vying for our attention as we do, it's easy to just skip it, right? There's going to be another one on in an hour. And there's a greater mistake than merely missing out on one parade because you've been watching another. It's that we will lose sight of what's ultimately valuable because we've been so distracted and overstimulated. We tend to elevate the trivial until it seems tremendous. We make the mundane seem majestic. And this might not have huge implications if we're only talking about a town parade or a concert or a show, but the stakes start to get a little bit more serious when we skip a family event or a community service project or a school concert because there was just something else more interesting. Let me say this, that has huge implications for us when it comes to our faith. It's very easy in this culture to misplace our worship. And you might be saying, Wait a second, Jeff. I mean, what's worship got to do with any of this? You've been talking about parades. Man, how, does, how does my faith fit into this? Listen, you're right. I, I have been talking about parades, but let me ask you this. What is worship if not the act of fixing our attention and our time and ultimately our hearts on something? What you choose to fix your attention on typically ends up taking your heart with it. There are endless ways that this can take shape in your life. Obviously, it's not just like a parade because there's not a parade every day of the week. There's all kinds of things vying for our attention. And I know that they're usually short and temporary, but if you've cluttered your life with parade after parade, what does that say about what you truly value? If you miss out on a family event because you chose to do something else that seemed more interesting, that says something about what you value. If you miss out on a community service project because, you know, there was just something that was a little bit more enticing happening at the same time, well, that speaks to what you value. And just as there are consequences for skipping a family event because now your family's hurt, or for not showing up to serve on a community project because there's been one less person to get the work done, same thing is true. There are consequences when we misplace our worship. It's our faith that suffers. 
Our sense of peace suffers. Our ability to abide in the presence of God suffers. Prayer life suffers. Can you survive this way? Sure, I guess. But it's not the abundant life that God has promised. And so here's the question. Have you been so distracted by other pursuits that you've underestimated your need to worship God and his desire for your worship? Have you been so distracted by all the shiny objects out there vying for your attention that you've underestimated just how much you need to worship God and how much he desires your worship? This is the last Sunday of Lent. Next week is Easter. And so today we are concluding this series, uh, Lent, Life Beyond Survival. Throughout the season, we've been following the life of Jesus as he makes his way to the cross. And in the story that we're going to read today, Jesus enters Jerusalem in what can easily be described as a parade. It's commonly referred to as the triumphal entry. So look with me in Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 35. This is what we read. They brought a colt to Jesus and threw the garment over it for him, threw their garments over it for him to ride on. And as he rode along, the crowds spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout, and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles that they had seen. Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, re rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And he replied, If they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Just a little context here. You know, Jerusalem, well, Jerusalem was the center of the Jewish world. It was where the temple was. And thousands of Jews would make the trip to the city to worship and to attend festivals each year. For hundreds of years now, they have been waiting for the Messiah to come and lead them out from under the oppressive rule of Rome. Many of them believed that Jesus was this person. So that's the reason that they rejoice and they celebrate as Jesus enters into their capital. It's like a parade and a demonstration all at once. And the people are waving palm branches. They're laying cloaks on the ground. It's, it's all a very symbolic exercise. See, in that time, the way you welcomed a king was by laying out a path of cloaks and branches for them to walk upon, similar to a red carpet. And it was also a Roman custom to welcome home a champion from war with a path of palm branches. So this moment is about more than just pageantry. It's a declaration. Jesus is our champion. Jesus is our king. Not Rome, not Caesar, not Pilate. We want Jesus and just as a Roman army might parade into town after a victory, the people believed that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem to usher in his kingdom, to overthrow the Roman oppressor. 
And so the people are rejoicing in Jesus. And you might be thinking to yourself, Jeff, you've clearly chosen the wrong story to talk about misplaced worship. I mean, these people are all about worshiping Jesus. Ah, but is that really what they're doing? Now, I remember as a kid on Palm Sunday every year that we would get palm branches at church and we get to line up and wave our branches like crazy because Jesus is king. I remember like it was the cute little moment where all the kids got to walk forward. And it was great because everyone was excited and it was fun to wave that branch around. And for me, it was especially exciting because I could also hit my brothers with the branch, you know, that was the added benefit. <laughs> Palm Sunday seemed pretty happy as a kid. But the older I got, the more I realized the tragedy of it all. And some of these people are celebrating Jesus, yes, but not all of them. And some of them are so jealous and angry that this is the final straw. Jesus, why, why don't you tell these people to stop this? The emotions are clearly running high. Anger, elation. And in the center of it all, Jesus has an entirely different perspective to what he's experiencing in all this adulation from the crowd. Look at what happens toward the end of the parade in Luke 19, verse 41. It says, but as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, Jesus began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and enclose in on you from every side. They will crush you to the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. Jesus seems to be taking zero joy from all the attention he's receiving. Because it's not really the worship that, that he deserves. It's a misplaced understanding of who he is. The throngs of people are celebrating. They're welcoming Jesus into the city as though he is their rightful king. And what does Jesus do? He weeps. He's in tears. Not tears of joy. No, he is in anguish over the death and destruction that he knows lies ahead. The people are cheering his arrival in ignorance. They don't recognize him for who he truly is. And you might be confused here. You might be thinking, oh, but I mean, clearly they're with Jesus, right? I mean, they're mostly on board. I mean, can't he just work with them and kind of adjust where they're at so that he can get them where he wants them to be? I mean, I mean, didn't Jesus just defend them by saying that the rocks would cry out if they didn't respond to him with all this praise? I mean, why all this doom and gloom all of a sudden? Listen, Jesus was indeed treated like a king as he entered Jerusalem, an earthly king. And the people have earthly expectations. No more taxes. Wouldn't that be awesome? No more occupation. No more subjugation. We'll be at liberty to do as we want. 
We can have life the way we always wanted it. We'll do whatever we please. They didn't understand the big picture of Jesus' purpose. They had no clue as to his eternal priorities and plan. Their expectations far too small. They, they had misplaced their worship. And the cheers of the crowd were all in hopes that Jesus would lead a revolution, that all would be well for them. Really, it was merely a pathway towards survival, not to life to the full. They were worshiping Jesus for what they wanted from him, not for who he was. Jesus is heartbroken at their misplaced priorities, distracted by all the things that they want, and missing out on the God of the universe there in their presence. And he says, how I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late. And peace is hidden from your eyes. People didn't recognize Jesus. Not really. They wanted him to be their Messiah, but in a different way. <laughs> and he was going to have to deconstruct every idea they had about what ultimate victory looks like. And ours, our ideas too. I mean, we've misunderstood Jesus too. And so, Jesus entered Jerusalem with shouts of triumph, and then he walked up a hillside a week later, bearing a cross to shouts of crucify him. Jesus did not meet the expectations of the crowd at the parade. He did not lead a rebellion against Rome. Instead, he bore the sin and shame of humanity on his shoulders. He was crushed and beaten and killed. He paid the price for our waywardness, for our distracted selfishness out of a deep love and affection for us all. The crowds on Palm Sunday misplaced their worship because they misunderstood who Jesus was. We don't have to, not today, 2,000 years later, here we are, and each day, it's an opportunity to glorify and celebrate the one who gave his life in our place. Each day is a chance to put aside the distracted and self-interested parade culture that is vying for our hearts and to choose instead to fix our eyes on Jesus. And that's the essence of worship. It's all inspired humility and understanding of who we are in light of who Jesus is. Worship is the act of standing in awe at the mystery of a God who loves us that much that he would lay down his life for us. So every Sunday, we gather and we worship God together, you know, unless there's a, another parade that we have to attend. And so we have our own little parade for Jesus, if you will. But today, I think we need to pause and ask, what is it that we are celebrating? Just like the crowd all those years ago, I'd venture to suggest that we often misunderstand Jesus' true identity and purpose. We don't understand his mission and his kingdom. We worship him instead because of what we want from him 
and not for who he is. That's why it's so easy to get distracted by all the parades in our culture. Our priorities are out of whack. We've got whiplash from our heads turning toward every shiny object that gets our attention, all to the neglect of the God of the universe who has called us his children. And in effect, become, become just like those people who were laying down palm trees at Jesus' feet, hoping that he would give them what they wanted. We do the same. And every time we misplace our worship. Why is that a problem? Well, it's because Jesus wasn't an earthly king ushering in an earthly kingdom. He wasn't there to give people exactly what they want. He is God in the flesh, a suffering servant, establishing an eternal victory over sin and death and building a kingdom that will not end. Only the grace of God can truly transform our lives from merely surviving from one distraction to the next, to trying to manufacture salvation for ourselves. We don't get to worship a God of our own design who exists for our own benefit. Don't listen. If you're, a, if you're able to avoid the competing pursuits that are vying for your attention and see, truly see Jesus for who he is, you will discover a foundation that can sustain the burden of your life as nothing else can. A savior worthy of your devotion like nothing else could ever be. Jesus is capable of granting forgiveness and peace such that you cannot find anywhere else. Don't misplace your worship. The crowd in Jerusalem wasn't worshiping Jesus for who he was, but who for who they wanted him to be. And we want things from Jesus too, but he's offering something far greater. He offers us something both now and eternally. And listen, if you're just trying to discover more about who Jesus is, if you're here today and you're testing out the waters of faith, you need to know that what Jesus is offering is the experience of God's presence with you, in you. You get to share in his good work and purpose because he wants to transform your life from the inside out. And for those of us who are maybe in recovery mode from the last couple of years or maybe from just life in general, you need to know that in Jesus we find a foundation that sustains us even when we experience trials and suffering and hardship. I mean, if we've learned anything from this pandemic, it's that lesser pursuits are fragile and incapable of bearing up when we've relied on them to sustain us. They just can't do it when we worship God only for what we can get out of the deal. In a sense, we're exchanging the majestic for the mundane. God offers us something far greater himself as he truly is. When we make ourselves the center of the universe, we have misplaced our worship. We're worshiping ourselves. This story of the triumphal procession, it's really about more than just misplacing our worship. It's also about grace. 
even though everyone that day was wrong about Jesus' true identity, he was still willing to lay down his life for them. Yes, he weeps for them. He weeps that they are blind to the significance of who he really is. He weeps over what's about to, to befall all of them. They shout and adore him, and he weeps. They misunderstand him, but he still willingly lays down his life for them. Paul wrote about how God's grace can change our lives in Colossians. In chapter 2, this is what he says. I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and the church at Laodicea. And for many other believers who have never met me personally, I think you could include yourselves in this, right? He says, I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And listen to how Paul describes the mystery of Christ. He says, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him, you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sin, because of your sinful nature had not been yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Paul says, this is the gospel, the good news, a proclamation of our victorious king. Not an earthly victory, an eternal one for you and for me. If you're like me, that, that just leaves you in awe and wonder at who Jesus is. And there is humility in wonder. There's humility when we find ourselves standing in awe of what Jesus was willing to endure for us. There's humility when we confess that we believe, even when our faith is sometimes fragile and fickle. This is the essence of our worship, and it's better than any earthly parade or pursuit. We get to stand in awe at the mystery of Jesus' love and grace for us. Through Jesus, God reconciled the world back to himself. That includes you and me. And if we don't stand in awe of that truth, the rocks will, because all of creation is under his authority and beholden to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the victorious king. He's victorious over the way the world works. He's victorious over sin and death. He is victorious period. For the past year and a half, most of us have been working just to survive, distracting ourselves with little parades. We've done what we could to say, stay safe, to keep our kids fed, to fend off depression and loneliness. We've survived. But we all know that surviving isn't enough to live for. Just getting by, that's not enough. And some of the rhythms that have helped us survive won't lead us to abundant life, to life to the full. So Lent, this season, has been a season to break the rhythm of just getting by, to begin inhabiting new rhythms of life and purpose. 
as we journey with Jesus to the cross and to the resurrection, we learn to die to our old ways of just getting by and we can discover what it means to truly live, to truly worship the God who made us and loves us. <laughs> That's what worship is. It's what he's calling us to. And so this week, We'll be remembering the death of Jesus on Good Friday. We invite you to come join us at the Omni Parker House at 7 p.m. as so we have a time of worship and reflection that evening. And then next Sunday, we will rejoice together in our risen Savior. Jesus is so much more than an earthly king. He is our resurrected Lord. So invite someone you know to come join us at our gathering on Easter. And together we will offer him the worship that he really deserves. Let's pray about that. Father, thank you that in the midst of all the parades around us, all the things that can distract us, you are content to wait on us to, to see you for who you are. And when I think about the people at the parade that day and how Jesus was in tears, even in the midst of all that adulation, I realized you are patient with us as people. You were willing to wait as we finally come around and get it and begin to give you our worship the way that you truly deserve it. So forgive us for all the distractions and the things that we tend to place priority on over you. Help us, Father, through your spirit at work in us to reprioritize, to understand just how much we need to worship you, how much that craving has been instilled in us because it's what we were designed to do. And we pray that you would receive the worship that we have to give you because we love you. And we know that you are true and righteous King and Savior. We worship you right now. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.